Hello, welcome to Let God Speak. I am your host, Uriah Sejist. Science has found that people who are grateful are also more often happier, mm. perform better, and are more satisfied. This could be because they are naturally more positive thinkers, or their happy disposition attracts more friends and loved ones closer to them. At any rate, adopting an attitude of gratitude can improve your relationships and give you better health. Thank you for joining us today on our final study of the book of Ephesians as we explore Ephesians in the Heart on Let God Speak. On our panel today, we have Morgan Vincent and Harold Harker. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us this opportunity today to open up your word and to discover the many blessings that you have in store for your children. Bless us today, Lord, with your presence. Be with our viewing and listening audience. Mm. And may your love shine through this program today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Gratitude is an emotion we experience when we acknowledge and appreciate the good in our lives. If your heart is sad and you want to make it glad, be grateful. As the little song says, count your many blessings and name them one by one. The advice given is when we feel down, we should pause and make a list of all the things we are grateful for. This week's lesson is a summary of the book of Ephesians, chapter by chapter. We have discovered that throughout Ephesians, Paul gives us many things the Christian can rejoice about. We will start off our discussion by turning to you, Morgan. And um, as we look at the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, what are some of the things that Paul says we are blessed with? Mm. It's a great question, Uriah. And when we look at, at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1 in particular, we, we see that Paul is, is starting off his letter here to the, the church in Ephesus. And, and he says this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. And it tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so... Here, right from the outset, we're, we're told that God doesn't just bless us with some spiritual blessings, but with every spiritual blessing. And so a spiritual blessing is, is one that is given by the Holy Spirit. And here we see that the church in Ephesus, what good news it would have been that mm -hmm. they were given every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And so it's a great way to start his letter. It is. And as a matter of fact, the verses from verse 3, three to 14, they're sometimes called the gateway of praise that um, ends with uh, verse 14, things that we should praise God and thank him for. So Harold, um, what is another benefit of uh, being in Christ that Paul identifies that we can be grateful for? Well, let me read chapter one and verses four and five. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You know, God chose to save humanity well before the foundation of the world. In other words, his plan of redemption was not an afterthought. It wasn't plan B. Even before sin came, he had an answer for the sin problem. God has the plan there. And then not only that, but he adopts us into his family. We become heirs. And so we're heirs there of the kingdom and of his great riches. Amen. Now, these words, uh, Harold, predestine us. Uh, they can be a bit confusing sometimes. Does it mean that God determines beforehand those who are to be saved and also those who are to be lost? Well, let's look at the great verse. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the whole world and sent Jesus to die for everybody in the world. He chose the world, but because God doesn't force himself, he lets us choose. And so predestined, yes, he has chosen every single one who will respond to his love. Amen. So that's very uh, reassuring from John 3.16, the verse that's well known. But Morgan, is there support from the rest of Scripture for this idea? Look, there is Uriah, and we'll look at a couple of verses now. And one of my favorites in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, here is this beautiful promise that says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But he's long suffering toward us. You know, thank God he's long suffering toward us. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so as Harold alluded to, you know, it's God's desire that, that all should come to repentance, sure. all should turn to him. And this is supported further in in First Timothy chapter two and verse four, where it, it speaks of God, our savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is freedom of choice. Yes. Uh, God would not force us. He doesn't want us to respond with a sense of robotic love, if you will, but rather that we would respond out of love because of his love to us. And so this is a really incredible thought that God wants us all to be saved and has done everything possible for us Mm -hmm. to all be saved as well. So that is something that we can really be thankful and grateful for that everyone who is watching and listening, God has already chosen you to be saved and it's your choice whether you want to accept. Your seat at the table is already reserved and mm. paid for. Uh, now, Morgan, uh, not everyone will be, will be saved um, according to the Bible. Why is that? Look, fundamentally and, and simply put, because of their choices. Yes. Uh, you know, if we go right to the end of Scripture, uh, here in Revelation chapter 22, It reads here from verse 17, says, And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires. And so here we see this this open invitation here, whoever, Mm -hmm. whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. 
And I think an important word to pull out from this text is the word desire. Amen. Because not everyone desires to know God. Not everyone desires a relationship with him Mm -hmm. or to spend eternity with him. And so really at the end of the day, God sends out this invitation for everyone to be saved, calling upon everyone to be saved. But yet people through their choices um, ultimately decide their own destiny, whether to be with Christ Mm -hmm. or not. And I think scripture supports the idea that when people do choose not to be saved, it really breaks God's heart. Uh, Mm. I want to read Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. It says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? And um, Harold, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul points uh, to a great contrast in the life of the believer between their lives before Christ and when they are in Christ. What was their life like before they knew Jesus? Well, it, he, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, the first three verses, and you, he made alive mm. who were dead in trespass and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, (coughs) excuse me, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others And so they conducted themselves with immorality and carnal instincts. In other words, they followed Satan and his will. Yes, and I think that's something the Ephesians could really celebrate and be excited about when they look at where they were and where Jesus has taken them. Uh, So Morgan now, uh, surely following Jesus creates some kind of positive impact on the life of the believer. How does Paul explain that that mm. actually happens? Yeah, look, he, he, Paul then goes on, you know, following straight from the passage that Harold just read. Uh, and in verse four, Ephesians chapter two and verse four, I, I, I love these two words at the start of verse four. It says, but God, <laughs> you know, that, that's essentially the gospel right yes. here, you know. And, you know, but God, you know, if it weren't for God, we would be dead in our trespasses and yes. sins. And it goes on to say, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And so the first point here is that, you know, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together in Christ. He goes on and it gets better. Verse five. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together. And then verse six, raised us up together. Okay. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. You know, try and picture this, right? If you imagine, you know, you know, someone we love is, is, is dead, right? They're, they're there in the grave. But the image here is that God takes us from that place of death and separation to not just being made alive and raised up, but then also seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, verse 7, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so 
this, this full redemption. You know, it, it makes a radical transformation in the life of the believer. Mm. Um, and the beautiful thing, Uriah, is that it's what Christ does in uh, our lives. Amen. And I like the repeated use of the words uh, together. Mm. So that gives the believer confidence that you're not just on your own, sure. but Jesus is there with you mm-hmm. in your mm. walk. Um, so, uh, Harold, at this point, at the, at the point of death, when, when a person is facing death, some are not sure um, what will happen next as they cross death's threshold. Uh, some of the world's religions attempt to provide answers, but their answers are based on whether or not you have done enough. Is Christianity any different? Uh, and if it is, how is it different? Well, let's think back of that great reformer, Martin Luther, and he never felt that he was saved. In fact, he never felt he was good enough or that he'd done enough. Mm -hmm. But you know, he came across a beautiful verse. He studied Romans and here is the answer. For I, in verse 16 of chapter one, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live live by faith. You know, the gospel is God's power to save everyone, not just the ones that God chooses, but everyone who believes. This is belief by faith. Amen. And we're thankful that everyone has access and everyone can have faith. Now, this was a beautiful uh, verse that uh, Martin Luther discovered from Romans. But Morgan, we are studying Ephesians. Mm. Um, Morgan, tell us, how does Paul explain how we are saved in Jesus? Mm. Look, Uriah, the beautiful thing I love about the Bible, many things, but one in particular is that it plainly tells us you know, simple definitions to things. But it also tells us by omission what is not in the text. And so here we see in verses 8 and 9, it it, it tells us what salvation Mm. is and then by contrast what salvation is not, right? And so note here in verse 8 and 9, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So not by works, not by money, not by character, not by any of these things, but by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You know, and we we alluded to Martin Luther earlier and even in our lives, you know, what a beautiful thought it is to know that it's a gift of God. Salvation is a free gift from God. Uh, We don't save ourselves, but God does. And verse nine goes on to say, it's not of works lest anyone should boast. You know, it's, it's this, this work of salvation. It's, it's the great equalizer for humanity because it means that no matter where you come from, no matter your upbringing, um, all of us, it's not of works that anyone can boast mm. and say, oh, I'm from Australia or I'm from America. No, no, no. It's, it's all a gift of God's grace in, in our lives. And so for this, Jesus does all the good on our behalf mm-hmm. and says, here's this gift. Amen. So it's, it's a gift that means it's free. We don't mm. have to pay, it, pay for it. We don't have to, to pay Jesus back. Uh, now, we mentioned earlier, Harold, that in many uh, religions of the world, um, the devotees 
die for their God in order to, mm -hmm. to get to heaven. But with Christianity, Christianity teaches me that my God died for me. Amen. And that is something to get excited and rejoice about. Um, we've been using a couple of words, grace and faith, Harold. What do they mean? Well, let's think of faith first. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, faith is the proof. It's the substance you can feel because you believe in something even if you can't see it, but you accept it even though it's yet to come. Now, let's talk about grace. The Encyclopedia Britannica is a great authority and it defines grace this way. The spontaneous, unmerited gift of the divine favour mm. in the salvation of sinners and the divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration mm. and sanctification. We believe and God is their great grace. Mm. You know, I love that thought because God's grace doesn't just save us, but it transforms Correct. us. Correct. Absolutely. And it's not just a one-off. It's mm. not one-off. He continues to help us, yeah. imparting his grace and help us to become better. Every day. Every day. That's a wonderful. That's another thing we can celebrate and be grateful and thankful to God for. Now, Morgan, uh, we talk about the church. Paul has... Um, highlighted the church in Ephesians. How important is the church? And can I be saved, separate and apart from other believers? Or is that something that I should, should do? Yeah, someone once said this to me, and I think it sums up a response to this question that, you know, we each individually choose to believe and follow right. Jesus by ourselves. You yeah. know, I choose that or you, Harold. Mm -hmm. But to continue in that journey, to continue in that relationship, we need each other yeah. and therefore the church. And so really, I think, you know, for someone to ask that kind of a question, it's, well, we're missing the point. We're missing the every spiritual blessing, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, that Paul speaks about. And so here in Acts chapter two, we see a record of, of the things that the early church did. In Acts chapter two and verse 47, the Bible says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Amen. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so it's God's desire, his plan A, if you will, that believers don't remain isolated, mm -hmm. but are added to right. the church, added to this, this body of believers so that I can help you and you can help me and we can all journey together, grow together in Christ. And in, in Acts chapter 2 that uh, we read from uh, in the other verses, we see that the believers in the early church, they were connected together socially and spiritually. They read the word together. They broke bread together, not just once a week, but daily. So there was that connection um, that they experienced with each other and not just um, being separate from each other. Harold, what uh, important work does God need for believers to do? Well, we know that God asked the believers to share their faith around the whole world. He wants the whole world to know of his grace, but it even goes beyond this world. Let me read Ephesians 3 and verse 10. 
are talking about Jesus and his grace to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places. You know, the angels are vitally interested in how we respond to God's grace because they have they serve God and they want to know how we uh, choose. Do we accept by faith? Does God's grace come and change our lives? And so they're looking at what's happening here. So it means that my actions as a, a Christian, my the choices that I make, does not only have an impact in this world, but even Correct. beyond, mm. even in heavenly places, as Paul says. And uh, Morgan, um, knowing how important this work that the church, the body, the body of believers um, is, what is one thing that Paul saw could disrupt this important mission? Mm. Yeah, look, we see here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, um, the importance of of unity, and so therefore, the thing that he was concerned about for the church, that would would you know disrupt the mission of the church, was disunity, mm-hmm. uh, disunity, fighting, uh, false teachings, yeah. false doctrines, these types of things. And uh, chapter four and verse three says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know this idea of endeavoring, you know, striving for, doing every effort, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. So much so, if I can just make a slight detour to make this point, Jesus himself there in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed for the unity of believers as well. So it's important, you know, on the heart of Jesus too. Paul also admonishes the church to to be very, uh, you know, conscientious to strive for the unity and the bond of peace. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, in 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Well, why? Mm. And the next verse says, Nor give place to the devil. Mm. And so here he encourages the church to be careful in how we resolve issues, in how we interact and relate to these conflicts mm-hmm. so that it doesn't give a gateway or a, a foothold for the devil in this. And thirdly, verse 29 Onwards, it says, let no corrupt communi- communication or words proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And so here Paul is saying, look, let's use words. Let's communicate with each other in ways that would edify and impart grace to the hearers. And so here we see some very practical ways that the kind of speech I would say to you or you to me, mm-hmm. let's keep unity. Let's keep unity. Beautiful. So uh, there are other ways, uh, Harold, uh, that Paul identifies that the enemy can derail the church's mission. What are they? Well, the Satan is the great enemy and he wants to wreck the church. Let me read to you Ephesians 4 and verse 14, that we should uh, no longer be children tossed to and fro. Let me explain children. A new believer is like a child in Christ. And so if you're new, he says, here it is, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. Mm. And so Jesus even said, 
false Christ will come, false prophets, people who have try and make divisions in their belief. And the devil is past master at that. And so he can use false teachers if he wants to or tries to. And those new in the faith, those who are children, as we say, not spiritually strong, then they could be vulnerable. And so we have to look at that. Let me read the next verse. And it says, But speaking in the truth, in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And so instead of being tossed to and fro, if we are strong in the truth, if we love the word, if we're growing in this grace that God has, Mm. then we're growing into Jesus Christ and we're like him. Thank you. That's it's good that he gives us that warning. Mm. And um, Morgan, now in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Paul calls us to be followers of God as dear children mm. and to walk in love. Can the person who now follows Jesus remain the same? Well, we see here, um, and, and we're going to see, and we've seen this, this, this idea of the transformation that happens in the believer so far in Ephesians. And here from the outset, we see in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. And so here Paul reminds the believers that firstly, they're sons and daughters of God. Their identity is no longer to any one, but the one, Jesus Christ. And so when someone becomes a child of a king, well, they're now royalty. Uh, that's, that's pretty incredible, right? <laughs> that's right. Uh, we weren't born into the royal family, but to the heavenly royal family we, we are. are. And so then from here, it's like, well, because of this royalty, there's a change in path. There's a change in life and direction that happens. And this we see in verse three, that fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be even named among you as is fitting for saints. So all of these things, are to go away, to, to be changed. And God's grace can do that in mm-hmm. our lives. Amen. And Harold, the last message in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, in verse 12, Paul tells us that we are not fighting flesh and blood. We're not mm-hmm. fighting each other, but right. we are fighting uh, principalities and powers yes. in heavenly places. That seems very scary, but what's the good news he gives us in this last chapter? Well, the good news, verse 13, therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so he talks about the armor of God, the truth, the righteousness of Jesus. Take the sword of the spirit and then you'll be able to stand against all these things the devil tries. Amen. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful way to end Mm. that he's promising us that we are protected from the attacks of the enemy. And that takes us to the end of our study on the book of of Ephesians. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for uh, helping us today. Being a Christian does not mean that you have everything all together. It means that you are in Christ and Christ is in you and with you. And you belong to a wonderful family of believers called the church. The church is where we find support in our Christian walk. 
where we are nurtured and grow and where we get to show the world and the entire universe the goodness of God working in our lives. We may not have it all together now, but one day soon when Jesus comes, it is our hope that we will. We are glad that you joined us today on Let God Speak. Remember, all past programs plus teacher's notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also email us if you wish on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.